This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to Real Men. We meet every Wednesday, try to build men up in a world that beats men down. And I got something really special for you today. It's a conversation with Dr. Greg Jantz. He runs... I would suggest one of the greatest integrated counseling centers in America, been doing this for 37 years, loves Jesus, has all of the professional credentialing, author of dozens of books, and a personal friend of mine. And so I wanted to bring him in for a real practical conversation for everyone in general, but men in particular, during this time of fear, upheaval, chaos, and uncertainty, how can you be healthy? And so I just really appreciate Dr. Jantz for joining us, and I would encourage you, grab a pen, take some notes, because there's some good stuff to help you. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with a special edition of Real Men. A few months ago, uh, we started Real Men on Wednesday nights at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. We've been sending out content ever since, and it couldn't have been more timely. We got up and going just before everything started hitting and everyone started adapting. And my whole prayer and goal is to build men up at a time when men, quite frankly, are feeling beaten down. Last week, my message to you was massive. It was from a large stadium. It was a big public event. This week, it's going to be more personal and private. Uh, Today, I'm home at my study, so we're going from a stadium to a study. Uh, This is where I study the Word of God and spend time with God preparing to love and lead people. My family is home with me today. I'm going to head down and have a bite to eat with them very, very shortly. Uh, But what I wanted to talk about was building on the special sermon from last week, and that is where we talked about principally how the man is the head of the home, and he is to lovingly lead his family and leave a legacy. This week, I want to move from that principle to the practice. I want to move from the principle to the method. I would argue that for many, if not most families right now, this is the time that leadership from loving, humble, Christ-like men is more needed than in any time in the history of your family. That being said, I'll start with a controversial scripture, and this is going to be a little conversational talk between you and me. Just got a few things sketched out on the notepad. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 is one of the most debated, argued uh, texts of scripture. It's in regards to marriage. Uh, the one thing that is most clear is that Christ is the head of the church and that he has loved and served and given himself up for her. We all who belong to Jesus love Jesus and appreciate Jesus. Where the scripture gets controversial is in regards to gender and also gender roles. I don't want to get into all of the complexity of that debate. Uh, My wife, Grace, wrote a great uh, chapter on this in our book, Real Marriage. But I just want to talk really practically about something that I think is really important. And that is that every family needs to be architected, every household needs to be architected in a way that honors God, that follows the example of God, so that God will be inclined to bless and participate in your family and its future. For that to happen, Ephesians 5.21 begins by saying, submit to one another out of 
reverence for Christ. What it's talking about there is mutual submission. A husband and a wife are to work together like a right hand and a left hand. They are to complement one another. They are not to compete or conflict with one another. My wife, Grace, is very different than me. I am very different than her. That's why the Bible says it's not good to be alone. Subsequently, we are better together. My weaknesses are covered by her strengths. Her weaknesses are covered by my strengths. And together, when it comes to decision-making and leadership for our life and for our family, we are much, much, much better together. The worst mistakes that either of us have ever made are where we made decisions independent of one another, not dependent on God together. And so mutual submission is what it is talking about there. Mutual respect, mutual deference, mutual consideration. I would call this the principle of plural leadership. In addition, Ephesians 5, and I believe the rest of Scripture, gives singular headship. Now, this may seem theological, but in a moment it's going to get very, very practical. Singular headship, plural leadership. Government and home, government and church, government and business tends to deviate or gravitate one of two ways. Singular headship. This is domineering, overbearing, dictatorial, uh, and those people that are under that leader are really crushed and their wishes are not considered. Plural leadership, everyone gets to speak, everyone gets to decide, and as a result, nothing ever gets done, everything gets political, and it's hard to get everyone to agree on pretty much anything, and so that is a negation of leadership. The biblical principle of singular headship and plural leadership, it works, it works perfectly because this is how God architected the universe based upon his own character. So within the Trinity, the, the Father, God the Father, is the singular head. The Father, Son, and Spirit are the plural leaders. They work together. They converse together. They decide together. They execute together. A marriage, a family, is supposed to be patterned after Jesus' relationship with the church, where the church has leaders, plural leadership, but Jesus is the head, singular headship. In addition, the family is to be architected to follow the example of God. The father is the singular head. Even that language of father and son sort of denotes singular headship, plural leadership. The father, son, and spirit do everything in unity, everything in agreement, everything in unison. There's no division within the Godhead. Why do I tell you this? Because you, if you are a husband and father, need to know that singular headship and plural leadership, it guards or safeguards against the worst two things that tend to happen in a marriage or family. Number one, domineering. If it's not agreed upon who the head is, then there is a vacuum for leadership and the strongest personality fills the gap. This might be your most stubborn kid. Uh, this might be the husband or wife that has the most fortitude or loudest voice or deepest stubbornness or best ability to think on their feet or create lots of drama and trauma or hold the family hostage through threats of terrorism and bad things are going to happen unless I get my way. Singular headship, plural leadership, it helps safeguard and guard against domineering. Uh, also, it helps to guard and safeguard against division. If you have too much plural leadership, well, you end up with this division. Everybody's got a different vision. If you have too much singular headship, you get domineering and overbearing. These things work as God designed them 
intention to provide health and balance. The Bible says the man who fears God avoids all extremes. These would be extremes. What happens when you have too much emphasis on plural leadership, you end up with division. Division literally means two visions. So mom wants this, dad wants that, kid wants this, extended family wants that. Everybody's got their own opinion, their own vision, and they pursue it. That's division. Division literally means two visions. The result is a fractured, conflicted, political environment for any organization. It could be a business, it could be a home, it could be a family. Uh, Satan works through division. That's why Jesus says that a house, that would include your house, a house that is divided cannot stand. It invariably falls down. And so what the principle of singular headship gives you, along with plural leadership, is guarding and safeguarding against these twin terrors of domineering or division. And what happens then is you can have a healthy home, family, marriage, even through crisis. And so if you are the husband, if you are the father, you and your wife in your family are the plural leaders. That's why the children are to honor and obey their mother and father. Your plural leaders do not, like many chauvinists do, take your wife and put her down at the same level as the children. She is a co-leader. The Bible calls her a co-heir with you. You are equals. You are made in the image and likeness of God. The two of you are to be one, not one ruling or domineering over the other one. You're to be working together in love and unity with one vision, not division. That being said, you as head of household and the husband and the father is the head of the family. And the reason I'm telling you this is right now, many families, they're in crisis. Financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, practically, it's like the world is a snow globe. It got shook. Everything is up in the air. We're not sure how it's going to settle. And as a result, lots of decisions need to be made for the well-being of the family. If you are married, you and your wife need to make all those decisions together because you are plural leaders. She needs to know what you're thinking. You need to know what she's thinking and feeling. You need to work out your budget, your schedule, your future. Some of you, you're going to have a career change. Some of you, you're going to need to sell your house. Some of you, you're going to need to change homes. Some of you are going to need to change careers, pull your kids out, change schools. Some of you are going to need to move states. In this season that we're in, there's lots of consequential, sequential decisions that need to be made. And you and your wife need to have one vision. You need to agree in the Lord what those decisions are so that together you can lead the family. But I'm telling you, if you are the husband, you are the father, God holds you, though you are also a leader, he also gives you this additional responsibility and frankly burden as head of household. This does not mean that you're the boss. This does not mean that you are the king and it's your kingdom. This does not mean that you get to lord it over others. And if you're one of those guys who's always pulling out the submit to me verses, let me tell you, you probably have a problem with your marriage and family. A buddy of mine whose 51st wedding anniversary is today, he's a marriage and family therapist. He says that those verses are like a bar of soap. The more you use them, the less you have. And so if you're that guy, you need to listen to your wife and kids. You need to be considerate, as the Bible says. You need to make decisions and plans with your wife in prayer with the Lord. But ultimately, God holds you as the head of household. The question is not, are you, as a man, the head of household? The question is, are you a good head 
or a bad head. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, and elsewhere, that the man is the head. It doesn't say that he should be, or might be, or could be, or he was up until the 21st century when we had new enlightenment on gender roles and marriage, as if God got it wrong the first time, and thankfully we have now gotten it right. The question is not, are you the head? The question is, are you being a good head, leading in the purposes of God with the Father heart of God? Are you being a bad head, leading apart from the purposes of God, not with the Father heart of God? What does it mean to be the head? Well, it means this, that men and women, husbands and wives, are both held responsible in the sight of God, but the husband bears first and primary responsibility. I'll give you an example. Genesis 3, our first parents. God made Adam first. He's the head. God made Eve. Together they were to be one. There was to be one vision, no division. Ultimately, Adam and Eve both sin against God. Eve sins first. Adam sins second. When God shows up to deal with them, he calls out to not the man, excuse me, not to the woman, but to the man first. Why? Though Eve sinned first, Adam was held firstly responsible because he was commissioned by God to be head of household, to love, to lead, to serve, to bless, to provide, to protect, like Jesus. When you hear the word head, just go immediately to the character of Christ. That's what it's supposed to look like. Now, this principle still holds true. God then shows up after dealing with Adam, the head, he also deals with Eve because they are plural leaders. They both bear responsibility in the sight of God. Adam is firstly responsible. Eve is secondly responsible. They are equally responsible in the sight of God for their own decision-making for their marriage and for their family. Um, what this leads us to as well is that for many, if not most, if not all men who are sons of Adam, our primary problem in the way that we sin are sins of omission. In Genesis 3, Adam said nothing, Adam did nothing. He just sort of sat back and watched and listened without activating and participating. Some sins are commission. You yell at your wife, you yell at your kids, you drink too much, you spend the money, you are on naughty websites, you're at the casino, you're out with the guys at the sports bar instead of going home for the Bible study. Those are sins of commission. You do something you're not supposed to be doing. Sins of omission are where you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. Adam's primary sin was omission, not commission. It's not what he did that was the big problem. It's what he didn't do that led to all the problems. I'll give you an example. Some years ago, I was in a counseling session, and I, I hate to say it, I, I lost it. My clothes turned green, and I got very frustrated. There was a, a man who was a Christian who had a daughter that had been really abused in a horrific, violent dating relationship. The daughter wanted to meet with her father and sort of articulate all that she had been through and all the trauma that she was processing. And it was incredibly painful what she had endured. It was horrible and evil and demonic. And through it all, she's in tears and she's explaining to her father what had happened to her. And she said, Dad, I'm just so disappointed in you and I'm so frustrated with you and I'm so angry at you. She's very emotional, tears in her eyes. And the father looked at the daughter and said, I, I, I'm sorry you feel that way. And then he looked at me looking for sympathy, which in all honesty, in that moment, I was the wrong person to look at for sympathy. And he said, I don't know why she's so upset with me. I didn't do anything. 
And I looked at him and I raised my voice and I said, that's the problem. That is the problem. You didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. Your daughter was in harm's way. You are her head. You are her leader. She is your girl. Right? She was a young lady when all this happened to her. You didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. Your sin was a sin of omission, not commission. The boy's sin was commission. He assaulted your daughter. Yours was a sin of omission. You didn't say or do anything. You watched all that he said and did. What I'm telling you is simply this, that this paves the way, this understanding of differentiating between fault and responsibility. As a man to be the head, if it is your fault, it is your responsibility. If you did something wrong or bad, maybe heading into this pandemic, you racked up all your credit card debts. You bought yourself a bass boat. You got yourself golf clubs. You made sure that you got all your hobbies in first place for the family budget. And now that crisis has hit, you're having a hard time making ends meet and you've got debt on things that you're upside down on. And as a result, you can't just unload them and make it right. Those would be examples of your failures as a leader to set your priorities, and now you and your family are dealing with the pain of that and the problem of that and trying to untangle the complexity of that. There is a difference between fault and responsibility. Sometimes, men, sometimes, men, it is not your fault. It's not your fault that we have a global pandemic. It's not your fault that there's no vaccine or cure at this point for the coronavirus. It is not your fault that the global economy has literally sent the lever and ultimately it is flushed. We have hit the lever on the global economy and we have literally flushed it. That's not all your fault. Uh, unemployment is now at record highs. That is not perhaps likely your fault. Many things, men, are not your fault, but if you are head of household, it's still your responsibility to find some sort of solution or resolution. That would, that's what it means to be the head. You do this with the Lord. You do this with wise counsel. You do this with your wife. Uh, you do this in prayer. You do this with planning. You do this in humility. You do this in sincerity. But many men, especially in a crisis like this, they sit back and they are like Adam. They're like, I, I just... I don't know what to say, so I won't say anything. I don't know what to do, so I won't do anything. It's not my fault. I didn't cause it. Here's the point. It's still your responsibility. It's still your responsibility. Over my head right now is a roof. Under that roof lives Grace with my kids, except for, of course, the oldest daughter who's married and now under her roof with her husband. They need food to eat. They need a place to live. The kids need an education. They need a lifestyle. That's my responsibility. And what happens is that as men, when we differentiate between fault and responsibility and we take responsibility for things that may not even be our fault, that's where we're loving our wife like Christ loved the church. Back to Ephesians 5. How did Jesus do that? It says that Christ gave himself up for her. Here's the point. Jesus is the head that the church is like a bride, the family of God, that he takes responsibility for things that are not his fault. I'll give you an example. My sin, not Jesus' fault. Jesus didn't ever make me sin, rebel, pursue evil, or folly. Anything that I have done 
that is opposed to the will, the word, the way of God, that's on me. None of it is on him. Nonetheless, Jesus went to the cross, suffered and died in my place for my sins, taking responsibility for things that were not his fault. That is the essence of what it means to be the head. Why do I tell you that? Because Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, and other scriptures, men, you are the head of your household. You are the head of your family. The well-being of your wife, even during a crisis, it's your responsibility. The well-being and provision, protection, and prayer for each member of your family, including your kids, that's your responsibility. God needs you, and they need you to take responsibility. Jesus already has, and now he's inviting you to follow in his wake, to follow in his example. And I'll tell you why this is so important and just what's burdened on my heart today for you men. I know you're feeling it. Some of you are feeling overwhelmed. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are scared. Some of you are confused. Some of you are paralyzed. Here's what I'm telling you. Take responsibility for your own health and well-being. Sitting at home, downloading porn, drinking whiskey, and yelling at your family, that's not going to fix the problem. That's not going to fix the problem. Also, just waiting, hoping, praying that someone somewhere will figure it out. There's only so many checks that the government can send. Uh, there are only so many votes that the politicians can take. And if you're the passive guy on the sidelines of life, just hoping that someone takes the field and puts a few points on the board for your family, your family is going to be in misery because you need to take responsibility. So here's what I'm saying. Up until this point, you delegated a lot of your responsibilities. And I'm not saying it was all evil, bad, or wrong. You would send your kids to school, let the principal and the teacher take responsibility for them, or at least share that responsibility for them. You would then take your kids to church. They're the pastor, the youth pastor, the kids ministry director would help shoulder the burden of responsibility for your kids. In addition, then you would take your kids to sports and the coach or coaches would help raise your kid. They would help lift some of that burden of responsibility for character formation and direction in your kid. And guess what happened? It's just you. Let me tell you this, men. You're no longer just the financial provider for your family. You still are. You're no longer just the spiritual protector for your family, though you are. You're also now the principal of a homeschool. You're also now the teacher at a homeschool. You, you, you are now also the coach for your kid. You're now the mentor for your kid. You are now the senior pastor for your kid because church is meeting at your house, or at least it should be. You are now the children's ministry director for your kids if they're little. You're now the student ministry pastor for your kids if they are in middle school or high school. And let me just tell you this. All of this should continue even when this crisis is over. And I don't want you to get back to normal. I want you to get better than normal. Because what I'm telling you is that many of the decisions that you were making as a man prior to this crisis hitting were not the best for you, for your wife, for your kids, for your household, for your family, for your grandkids, for your legacy, for your future. This hard reset is a humbling opportunity to think not how do I get back to normal, but how do we get forward to best? 
you know what? Whether you send your kids to private, public, home, Christian school, they still need you. Whether you send your kids to children's ministry or student ministry, they still need you. Whether you send your wife to a godly women's ministry or home prayer group Bible study, she still needs you. Ultimately, the well-being of the family rises or falls with the willingness of the head to invest in the life through love of those that he is called the lead. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. And he sends us the Holy Spirit so that we can love and lead our families like Jesus Christ. Let me check my notes. Let me just say this. As the head, it means that you go first. Now that you're home, go first in doing chores and helping out. I have caulked the tubs. I have painted the deck. I have organized outdoor furniture. I have cleaned the pool. I am a grill master. It is my spiritual gift. I didn't know that I had it. I'm asking grace every day because we're all home. How can I help? What do you need? What burdens can I lift? You know what? Sometimes a woman's love language is vacuuming. I have discovered that. Just put that up as a point and then make that an aspiration of yours. In addition, uh, it is your opportunity to set the spiritual temperature of the home. It's heating up here in the valley. That means our homes are getting hotter. Not only is there a physical temperature, there's also a spiritual temperature. You set the temperature of your home. If you are joyful, there will be joy. If you are calm, there will be peace. If you have hope, there will be hope. And some of you men, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're depressed because you have a lot of complex variables to decide. I understand that. I got a wife, I got five kids, I got a newly married daughter. I've got a church that I'm honored to lead and love, but we can't meet right now. I've got a ministry, I've got book deadlines. I, I'm trying to figure out how to do my job remotely. My job is to meet with people and we're not allowed to meet with them. So all of this is a complex season for all of us. I get it. I'm sorry, but I'm telling you this. You and I as men, we need to accept reality. We need to run to reality. We need to resolve reality. And we need to figure out how to take responsibility. That's the only hope. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, um, you can set the spiritual temperature. You can set the emotional temperature in your home. You also can set the example by praying with the family, praying for the family, making sure that the Word of God is open, regular things like mealtimes together, praying for each other, going for walks with your spouse, going for walks with your kids, checking in at the heart level. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? What do you need from me? How can I unburden you? I'm just telling you that absent men are not going to love their family, that selfish men are not going to lead their family. That, that men who do not understand that role and responsibility and requirement of headship, they are just simply taking all of their burdens, they are putting them on their wives and kids and crushing them, which is not loving them or leading them. So to summarize, I'm sorry for the crisis we're in, but let me tell you, it's an awesome opportunity to learn about Jesus who takes responsibility for things that are not his fault, to take responsibility as men for things that are our fault. Hey, since your wife and kids are under roof, this is a good time to apologize, to repent, to ask their forgiveness, and to try and make amends and try to make a fresh start if there's anything that needs that. In addition, 
you have this tremendous opportunity to lead your family through a season of crisis. And let me just tell you, every family needs plural leadership, singular headship, but arguably at no time like the present is that need so pronounced and painful. You're needed. Dad, how are you doing? Husband, how are you doing? Ministry leader, how are you doing? Business leader, how are you doing? What does it look like for you to take responsibility, plural leadership, inviting others into the process, but going first to set the example and find the solution to get you through this crisis along with the people that you love, not just to get back to normal, but to come back better than normal. Honestly, I'm excited. I see opportunity. I see my wife's relationship with me growing and deepening. I am getting more time with my kids. I have more clarity on my future. I have clear vision for ministry and our church into the next season. I believe that this is not the worst possible thing. It all depends on what we do with it. It all depends on what we do with it. So I love you and I'm praying for you. But I've said it for many decades. I believe that men are like trucks. I've always driven trucks. I've loved Chevy trucks my whole life. And what I find is without a load, they're hard to drive. You put your foot in it, it goes sideways, fishtails around a corner. Heaven forbid you're driving in rain or snow. As soon as you dump a load in the back of a truck and you put some weight on it and the leaf springs collapse, everything settles in and it tends to drive a lot truer and straighter. Here's what I'm telling you, men. God made us like trucks. Carry your load and you will drive straighter and better. I'm praying for you. I love you. And ultimately, everyone that you're responsible for, they need you and they're dependent on you. And so I'm asking you, are you lovingly leading, taking responsibility like Jesus as head of your household? That's the word for this week. I'll see you next week.